2: Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about Lady Bird, the 2017 film written and directed by Greta Gerwig. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand,
0: Hello, everyone.
2: Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Coyotes. Hi. Uh, OK, so before we dive into Ladybird, quick reminder for people that might have forgotten, all of these video podcasts are available on YouTube. Or if you are listening in Spotify app, you can open up the video and, and watch us as we talk about all these things. So either head to the Spotify app if you haven't or head to YouTube and subscribe there where you can see us in living color as we discuss and be brilliant <laughs> as we always are.
1: You can also put a post-it note on your screen over any of us and then look at the rest of us. Wow.
0: What an idea, Brian. I'm just
1: saying, look, I, you know, I've got to look at me all the time. I want to, don't need that. Let us know in the comments who you put the post-it over.
3: (laughs) As you watch us be brilliant.
2: (laughs) As we are now. For our next episode, so everyone can prepare, we have something special. We are going to talk about Shawshank Redemption. And the reason that this is special is our producer extraordinaire, Vince Major, has been hounding me, asking politely for uh, years and years. Michael, when are you going to do a lesson from a screenplay video about Shawshank Redemption? That never happened. When are we going to talk about Shawshank Redemption? for the podcast that never happened because this is his favorite movie of all time and you would think were i a better friend we would have done something about this now there was a (laughs) plan at one point to do a surprise episode for him where we release it we record the Shawshank redemption and release it on his birthday without him knowing um but that fell through and so we're just going to do it because otherwise it's not going to happen. So the next episode so is So anticlimactic,
1: up. that story. It's just all the good ideas fell through. So now we're just going to do it anyway. <laughs>
0: yep.
1: No yep. surprise. No nothing.
0: <laughs> Unlike the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, there are no fun twists to discover here.
2: It's the thought that counts. It's the thing people say. So if you haven't seen it. Go watch it. If you have seen it, if you have thoughts about what you would like us to talk about, head over to the Patreon where there is a post waiting for you where you can share your thoughts and tell us what, what things we should pay attention to, what things you would like us to talk about on the podcast, and we will do such things. And uh, yeah, now let's talk about Ladybird. So I saw Lady Bird when it came out. I loved it, thought it was fantastic, and hadn't really thought about it. Uh, since and so going into this was like I get yeah, I think I liked that movie I mean I know I liked it I, I don't remember that much about it but yeah let's watch it again watching it again reminded me how much I loved it and how fantastic this movie is and how amazing the script is and the directing and the performances it's just a very very good movie I also remember now because I was thinking as I was watching this like why didn't this like win best screenplay like what the hell this is so good And then remember that this was the year that Get Out was also nominated and Get Mm. Out ended up winning. And remembering watching the Oscars and being like, ah, I would be happy if either of these won. Like, this is is so intense. Um, So, yeah, this movie is great. Nominated, yeah, for Best Picture, Screenplay, Director, Performances for both Sorcerer Ronan and Laurie Metcalf, all of which are excellently uh, executed and very well deserved. And there's a lot of things that I look forward to talking to you guys about in this movie because I think structurally it's really interesting. It's very well observed dialogue, Does so much with so little. Um, the ending is kind of interesting. And like, mm. I want to talk about how all yeah. of that lands. The editing is amazing, it's really funny. So, lots of things to talk about. Um, but yeah, just overall impression is this movie is amazing and it's great. And I think I liked it even more the second time. So that, that is me. Tricia, tell me about Lady Bird.
0: Yeah. uh, Similar to you. I saw it in the Oscar season of that year. Um, in my, you know, I do my, uh, best picture screenings and I curate a little meal that goes with it for friends or I used to do that. And so we did like school lunch and I think we had like (laughs) Lunchables and little sandwiches and um, I made chocolate chip cookies and it was just a great time. And the movie is all the things you said. It's really funny. Uh, It's really sharp and just, yeah, very well observed. I love the, the dynamic in the family, the dynamic with her and her friends the editing really stuck out to me this time around. It's doing so much, mm-hmm. so deftly. It's amazing. And there's all of these disparate story threads that the movie like puts down and picks back up at exactly the right moment and feels like we're, you know, always tracking with where Lady Bird is on her journey. And it somehow comes together as the movie, like, builds towards its finale, which I definitely also do want to talk about. Um, It's one of those movies that's a classic example of specificity as universality, right? Like, I think you can see, you know, it's interesting that this movie is so grounded in its sense of place, right? It's a movie about Sacramento. and Mm. (laughs) It it tells you that a lot. Um, And I love that. Like, I love that the movie feels... Like, it's of our world. It is telling a story of people we know and knew in high school. And, like, the movie also is really grounded in time, right? It's 2002 to 2003. And, you know, there's news broadcasts all the time. And they're talking about the Iraq War. And they're talking about 9-11. And, like the movie is firmly planting itself in our reality and invites us to watch it in our reality and at the same time is a comedy so there you know are these kind of really comedic moments that would never happen in real life but they still feel like knit into the fabric of the world in a really organic way it's wonderful Um, all the supporting characters have these fantastic little moments, um, that make them distinct and yet also like, yeah, funny and poignant. And also it's meaningful to me. I went to a tiny Christian school and, uh, traveled all the way to the other side of the country to go to college, uh, a fact that my mother did not like. And, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot here for me. I think, um, that I was really struck by this time around having a little bit of distance on that time in my life. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Like watching this movie, being of this generation, I am curious. Like what, what, like a Gen Zer would make of this, right. for example. Um, but we don't have any of those with us, so we'll have to just move on from that <laughs> thought. Alex, tell me about Lady Bird.
3: Yeah, you guys really said it all. It. It's just a lovely, lovely movie. And I also loved it when I saw it in theaters for the first time and watching it again was just like, yeah, damn, this is just so well done. And you both have mentioned the editing and I have to also mention the editing. I think there's something about this movie that just feels so sharp and perfect in in its pacing. Yep. I never feel like a scene lingers too long. It always cuts out at just the right moment. I get a little taste, a little uh vignette a little moment and then we are then we're out and i never uh am kind of like feeling like there's a part that drags or like okay i've had enough of this plot line it's just always moving and but it's not also giving me whiplash i'm not feeling like it's overly cutty or overly you know fast-paced i i'm just kind of along for this really pleasurable ride that is giving me exactly what i need and want and nothing more nothing less and that is really a feat to to just have a movie that feels so precisely put together that it feels feels effortless there's no fat but what's there feels like a meal you know there's it doesn't it doesn't feel lean either mm-hmm. so that's that's what's kind of magical about this movie it's very efficient yet it doesn't feel like an efficient movie in the sense of like, oh man, it was so lean and tight that like, I barely, you know, got to simmer in the space with the people. Like, I feel like this whole movie I'm simmering in the space with this people, with these people, but it's also efficient and tight and great. So yeah. that there's kind of a magic about it that is pretty rare. And I can't think of many other movies that feel both like a Richard Linklater-y boyhood f- vibes like meets just like sheer efficiency <laughs> of mm-hmm. editing and pacing uh and and writing. Um it's really, really cool to see those both in one movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was like when Timothy Chalamet showed up, I was like, all right, this guy's in this all right, Dune. Uh but my <laughs> right, memory Paul. once I <laughs> once I remembered that, I was like, oh, I need so much of this movie too. But he's not like he's in very little of this movie, actually. Like this movie really moves along, as we're saying, super efficiently. But when it's there, it's there and it's doing what it needs to do. And so it's I remember these things as taking a long time and having spent a bunch of time in this world. But it does move along uh, very efficiently. And it's very hard, as you're saying, Alex, to strike that balance. Brian, what about you?
1: Yeah, to echo what um, both Trish and Alex were were saying, like Trish, you were talking about the the time that it's set, and it's interesting because it feels like a period piece, but not in that kitschy "remember yeah. this song" kind of way. Like mm. when you do hear, like, what is it, um, uh, Justin Dave Matthew's band? Uh, well, Day Matthew's sure. <laughs> but <laughs> that's impression
2: to me. Crimey River by Justin Timberlake. And yeah. River, yeah.
1: Crossroads, right? But a lot of those are like mid nineties or late nineties things. Right. So it's like, you know, which I always appreciate. I hate whenever a period thing is like, the only music that existed in a 1994 thing is music that came out in 1994. That's all anyone ever listens to. That's all. i like, no, not really. And uh, so, yeah, I appreciate that. It never like, even those songs other than Crash Into me, like even those songs are kind of in the background, they're just like playing in the bar. Right. The, the, the thing is never, and 2002 is not that long ago. Right. But if you watch something like pen 15, it is a little like, like we're trying to use the internet. Like how does chat rooms work? Like it's and uh, because that's the point of the show. Like the show is is having fun with it. But this movie just feels, you know. I think Greta Gerwig said she wanted it to feel like a like a memory, like a documentary, like something that wasn't trying to be um, sort of kitschy about how it was. Um, and then Alex, yeah, what you were saying about the pacing, like that's that was the big takeaway I had this time around watching it was. Just uh, apparently, the original script was like 350 pages. Like, she had yeah. so much. And usually, when you have that, you would then have to take it into like a two and a half hour movie or a two hour movie, right? But this is a 94 minute movie, right? Like, she really did the work uh, to say, like, well, what is really needed here? but yeah as you were saying michael it feels like in 94 minutes it feels like you are going on this journey because of the pacing because of the vignettes of just like you can i think i paused it for a second just because like i had to do something only two minutes had gone by but it had already been (laughs) like i felt like i'd already seen like four scenes or something um and uh, but it's a really nice blend of here is five seconds of a musical rehearsal and here's five seconds of like that. They're, they're running around eating French fries and here's five seconds of this. And then we have a nice normal three minute scene where it's like, we really get to check in with the characters and see what's going on. And then we're back to it. I think the only time like act Two B, kind of between, uh, hooking up with Timothy Chalamet and like the whole third act, like getting into college thing, there's a little bit of like, well, Wait, where's what's supposed to happen next? Like, what are we waiting for to happen? But that's like, I don't know, 10 minutes maybe. And the rest of the movie feels like I always know exactly where we just came from and exactly where we're going. Um, And because of that, yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly, Alex. It just it feels it feels like we're going on a ride, but it never feels like we're going too fast or too slow. It just everything feels correctly, correctly told. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, and the part that you're talking about, Brian, I think what you're getting at there is the dramatic question. Yeah, I feel like this movie is so good at keeping us on the ride of what the dramatic question is Mm -hmm. sort of in Lady Bird's life. Um, And so it's interesting, you know, it's like when she's involved in the one of the two romantic relationship that the romantic relationships that she gets involved in there's a, an inherent dramatic question there right so yeah. it's like when we're watching the play rehearsal when we're watching you know the scenes of her at home where her dad's helping her with financial aid and and all this stuff the dramatic question is still like, well, what's going to happen between her and Danny, right? Right. Like, how is that? Where is that going? Um, And then when that resolves, we're almost immediately into like the next romantic relationship that kind of creates a new dramatic question. And then there are longer dramatic questions that we are kind of wondering about, right? Which is college applications and especially her relationship with her best friend, the Beanie Feldstein character. And so I think that there's a moment in Act 2B that you're identifying, Brian, where she dumps Timothy Chalamet, makes up with Beanie Feldstein, and then we kind of forget what the dramatic question is because she and her mom aren't fighting at that moment. Right. And we haven't right? talked about
1: college in maybe 20 we minutes or so. We haven't talked about so. college in yeah. a little while.
0: And I actually think it's smart because then it creates that moment right at the dinner table where they're out to eat and they're all like, yay, congrats to graduation. Congrats about that. And then Danny comes up and he's like, Hey, what about wait list? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) It creates that like, Oh my God, I forgot about that. That's going to be the the crisis. So I kind of love that it like lulls us into this false sense of like, well, everything's great with her. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. then it it drops that bomb. But yeah, I think it's really deft writing to continually have various dramatic questions handing off to each other, like what we're looking for in the next scene. And even in the little scenes where we're just getting a montage that feels like it's doing the passing of time or something, it's not like those tiny little montages aren't also doing character work. Right. Um, And usually doing plot work as well. Um, even in very small ways. So it is just like, yeah, I don't know. It feels like a magic trick. It makes me wonder how much of those really short scenes they shot, right? Like if I only see like two seconds of them standing in the chapel, you know, getting the Ash Wednesday cross put on their heads, how much of that scene did they shoot to get those like two moments or or whatever? Was that a whole five
1: minute sequence that then got cut down to five seconds or something? Yeah.
0: And if so, what discipline in the edit?
1: Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Lady Bird is, in a way, a period piece. 2002, much as I hate to admit it, was two decades ago. And while it's recent history, it's still a time that is very different from our own. If you're creating a story set in a different time or place, and you need to properly convey the peculiarities of that setting, you need the right tools to bring your vision to life. Storyblocks is a royalty-free stock library that makes it possible for creators to keep up with the growing demands for modern video content, so you can bring all your stories to life and stop sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Unlike traditional stock sites that limit content with a pay clip model, Storyblocks gives you unlimited downloads so you can create more. They have images and illustrations, audio and sound effects, and high-quality video and video templates. And Storyblocks has a selection of flexible subscriptions so you can focus on creating instead of worrying about budget. To start to bring your vision to life, check out Storyblocks and sign up for their unlimited all-access plan. Head to storyblocks.com slash beyond the screenplay. Once again, that's storyblocks.com beyond the screenplay. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks to Storyblocks for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay.
3: Well, and I think I remember listening to a lot of interviews with Greta Gerwig during Oscar season this year and Lady Bird year. She talked about how her writing process for this, I mean, it took place over several years, and she was just kind of starting from a place of just seeing scenes in her mind. You know, scenes between these characters popping up and just like exploring those scenes. And it was kind of, I think, the reason the script was so long at first was because she just basically wrote like a, this pastiche of scenes from this year in this character's life. And then was like, okay, what do I have here? I've got all these scenes. Mm-hmm. What is this movie? And I think, yeah, like you're saying, Trisha, it's a real testament to both the writing and editing discipline to start from that big pastiche and construct it in this way where, as we're saying it, there's always a strong dramatic question. There's there's something pulling us through. It's it's not just a wandering movie with kind of like random back-to-back scenes that have nothing in common or don't pull us through with any dramatic question. It feels very strong in that way. But it began from this really organic process of just like discovering these characters through vignettes in their life. Um, So I think it just shows that the writing process can go in all different directions, different orders. And, you know, you can start with that big, wide open, just exploration if you have the discipline to then take that and hone it down and, and and be brutal like like I think she was to her to her own writing in this movie to just all these scenes became five second clips and that was what the movie needed.
0: First of all, her process stresses me out. <laughs> like, I, that's not it's not how I write at all. Yeah. It sounds so uh, overwhelming to me, but I think it's fascinating. You know her her background as an actor. And coming from the mumblecore scene, mm-hmm. um, I think is really interesting here and in how it speaks into this movie. But this is not a mumblecore movie. It is right. very much an actor's movie where it's showcasing the characters um, because it's not a movie about an alien invasion or time <laughs> travel or anything like that. Um, so it kind of. You can kind of feel the mumblecore roots in some ways, but the scenes, especially those longer ones, are scenes where there's conflict, there's change, right? It's when we get to the end of it, there's no question in my mind, we're at the end of this scene and there has been a shift for the characters. And I think that it's like, in which I don't... Often feel in mumblecore movies where I'm like, I'm yeah. not entirely sure that was a scene, um, which is fine. That's not necessarily what I watch those kinds of movies for. Uh, but it's amazing how accessible and refreshing it makes this movie that it, it's a movie to its core right. while also borrowing these interesting principles from that different style of filmmaking.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about both her movies and Noah Baumbach's movies because they are not only partners, but have made movies together that that she has written and he's directed. And yeah, like I I agree with you that I the first the the first like decade of movies, I I had that feeling of like, I like this and it's interesting and there's there's cool stuff here. But I don't know. But then both with Lady Bird and with Marriage Story, I felt like, oh, yeah, you know, you've like learned kind of how to craft a movie that feels like a I don't want to, I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but like a movie anyone can watch that still is doing all of that stuff that most movies don't do where you're really exploring the characters. You're really kind of, you know, the dialogue is like really beautiful and stuff. You're not just like putting pieces on a chessboard the way a lot of movies are where you're just kind of like, what's the most passable dialogue we can have? It's like, no, no, you, you feel the, the, the reality of it all, but it's now being crafted in a way um, that, that, can make a ladybird or make a marriage story or the the, probably the best example is make a little women where then it's like now that you've made ladybird you can go on to actually like make a real again i don't know blockbuster is the right word but like a real big movie that's like based on a classic novel and it and it's going to feel like a like a real movie right it's not going to feel like we gave the keys to the wrong person to you know to drive this right boat i don't know what (laughs) Bus? (laughs) i stopped listening to whatever i was saying like a minute ago (laughs) yeah everything you guys are identifying
2: i definitely feel because those yeah the mumblecore thing uh can turn me off super fast um but i but i feel like this movie as we're pointing out like has a plot she has a a pretty clear character arc. there are very clear markers along the way mm-hmm. but the execution of it does feel like this kind of really honest portrayal of how real life is without copying and pasting real life dialogue right. into the movie because that's not what movies are that's not why we're here um but there are just these moments <laughs> that are uh just so efficient or reveal kind of the inner life of the character that are just like these tiny things. And like a couple ones that jumped out to me were when she goes, when she's dating Danny and they go to see the band and she sees Timothy Chalamet for the first time. And we have that kind of back and forth and we see her, see him and we see her thinking, and then she just turns and gives Danny like a kiss. Mm-hmm. And like you can just, there's so much two plus two happening. Seed there, right. Planted. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Where we understand that and like her affirming to herself that she still has feelings for Danny is signaling that there's something complicated here, and maybe something has been stirred by this Timothy Chalamet character. Um, or when they're when she and her mom are shopping for the dress, there's a bunch of great moments, but there's you know passive aggressive back and forth where they're like An argument is brewing, but then they find the right dress and immediately they're like, oh, my God, this is it. And like that is just super efficient, shows so much. And as part of also what's so um, well drawn about these characters and the mother daughter relationship is that you know that they love each other. They know that they love each other, but that doesn't mean anything's easier or less complicated. And I feel like I've never seen a movie hold all of that in a way that felt so effortless and real at the same time. Mm -hmm.
0: I was super struck by that exact moment when I watched it this time around because it just feels so well observed, like so borrowed out of life. It has to be real or just like an honest look at these characters where the switch happens so quick, right? They're just like, Mm -hmm. I don't agree with you about this. I don't like this. We're fighting her. Mom's like, you're dragging your feet. I just thought you were tired, like being the most passive aggressive person ever. And then Mm -hmm. ladybird calls her out on it. And then she's like, oh my God. And then they cut away from it immediately. Mm -hmm. And actually what they cut to is her mom sitting up late at night, altering the dress to make Mm -hmm. it fit perfectly. And it's just a beautiful little moment. And the movie does this all the time. I think the POV is really interesting where we actually get quite a few scenes just from the mom's point of view um, to keep us like, so we're not, it is definitely Lady Bird's story, but she's not the only person that changes, right? We Mm -hmm. see that there's a, there's movement on her mother's side as well. And so cutting it to that just little, it's just, I don't know, maybe two second clip of the mom sitting there she's fixing the dress to make it actually perfect it didn't fit perfect off the rack she's going to make it perfect it speaks about their financial situation it also speaks about her mom's resourcefulness and about her care for ladybird and it's just it's just that's the kind of that's the texture of this world that Greta Gerwig has created it's so rich you could watch this movie a 100 times and pick up new little mm-hmm. moments like that because this movie is just full of them
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Well, I think that's why I love about the opening to this movie because it's already all right there. Mm -hmm. We we begin with them, the first moments in the car. They're crying together over an audiobook (laughs) for Grapes of Wrath, and that's great. great. Like, like it's such a great thing to throw us in. Like they they are able to bond over something like an audiobook and have an emotional experience together. And then five minutes later, Lady Bird jumps out of the car. <laughs> so it, it the, the entirety of like the entire uh, spectrum of their relationship is captured in that scene and the evolution and the, and the descent into bickering happens very naturally. Um, but, but I just love that up front we see how much love there is and how much they share actually, Uh, with each other in addition to also like can't stand each other at other points. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's all right there up front and the movie never lets go of that duality. Like you said, Michael.
0: Well, it reminds me so much in our devil wears Prada video, we talked about how the opening 10 minutes of that, but especially the confrontation between Andy and Miranda at the beginning of the devil wears Prada is a microcosm of the Mm -hmm. entire movie. Right. Um, And that's exactly what the scene in the car is. It's like, Ladybird and her mom are going to have conflict. The conflict will escalate. Ladybird will get out of the conflict by doing something self destructive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have seen the entire mm-hmm. movie, now.
2: right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Have you ever wanted to know how to make a feature film, or to better understand how online copyright works, or to learn how fast turnaround content creators get their videos out so fast? If yes, then we have just the thing for you Nebula Classes. Nebula classes are full-length classes from your favorite creators, and I've got a great one to recommend to you. Our friend Patrick Willems has created a class called How to Make a Movie. In this comprehensive class, Patrick Willems teaches you the basics of making a feature film by deconstructing the production of his first movie, Night of the Coconut. Googly eyes and coconuts not included. And there are even more classes from Thomas Frank, Legal Eagle, Renee Ritchie, Amy Nolte, Sam from Wendover, Georgia Dow, and a handful of others. We have a new class dropping every week, led by your favorite creators and experts in their fields. Better yet, Classes is part of Nebula, the subscription streaming service home to ad-free and exclusive content from all your favorite educational-ish creators, now including Beyond the Screenplay. So, when you sign up for Nebula classes, you'll also get access to all of the exclusive and ad-free content from all of our creators, as well as awesome Nebula originals like Wendover's Colorado River documentary and, of course, Patrick Willems' feature, Night of the Coconut. There are over 10,000 videos on Nebula with new things to discover every day. And you can watch all of this great stuff just about anywhere with our iPhone, iPad, Android, Android TV, Apple TV, and Roku apps. The whole thing, Nebula classes, including full access to Nebula, is less than $150 a year. But if you visit nebulaclasses.com slash beyond the screenplay, you can sign up for the annual plan for only $119 per year. If you're already a Nebula subscriber, upgrading to classes is $99. So head to nebulaclasses.com slash beyond the screenplay to sign up for Nebula classes. Check out Patrick Willem's class on how to make a movie and get access to the thousands of videos on Nebula. Thanks to Nebula for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay.
1: Well, yeah, speaking of Double Wars Prada, um, we could sort of transition into talking about the character arcs. And this also relates to what we were just talking about of how much is in this movie. Cause I was thinking like the, you know, the musical that could have been. The, the frame of the whole movie, right? Or her relationship with Danny, that could have been the frame of the whole movie, right? Where like, you know, she walks in on him, the crisis, and then like the ending is her like dealing with it. Um, but this movie just sort of is like, no, no, we, we told a little story and that story is over and these characters still exist in this world. You know, Danny is still there through the end of the movie. Um, but then the other one is the sort of Mean Girls, Devil Wear Prada, Devil Wears Prada arc that we get with, uh, with Lady Bird, um, which is, you know, Act one, she wants to be someone else, something else. You know, she and Julie are just like, we want to be prettier. I want to live on the East Coast. I wish I could live in that house. I wish we had this money, you know. And then act two is like, oh, she kind of gets a little bit of what she wants. She makes friends with, like, the pretty girl, whatever, you know. And she and she's, like, now dating the, the cool guy. And she doesn't have time for her, like, nerdy friend anymore. And then at the end, it's the synthesis, right? It's the, like, oh, now I realize, like... I actually love my friend and I love my mom and I love my city and all this kind of stuff. I can still go East. I can still do whatever, but um, yeah, all of those stories are like micro stories in this bigger story, just about Lady Bird's overall kind of character arc. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting in this movie that they like, there isn't, you know, I love Trish. I always think about, you call it the, um, uh this is what i want song i think is that how you refer like every musical has <laughs> the, a the
0: musical yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
1: then but then you know you pointed out in a non-musical where you were talking about i forget what movie but like how movies have that too where it's like the speech about i really want to do this thing and we don't get that here because then that would make this movie feel too much like a movie instead you get all of the like this continuing Like, what have we heard this character talk about over and over again is oh, I wish I was that I wish I was this. I wish I was I wish I didn't live here. I wish I didn't have this thing. I wish I had that thing over there. So then um, you you sort of put all those together in your head. And then, of course, over the course of the movie, by the time you get to the end and you see the completion of both her and, as you said, her character, her mom's character arc, um, then you you realize, you know, oh, I, I did see a movie. <laughs> Maybe I didn't realize it was happening while it was happening, but I absolutely understand what these characters wanted, what they thought they wanted, what they needed, what they got, and, you know, where we are at the end.
3: Yeah, yeah I think that, that Mean Girls arc is really clear in the movie because it, there's a there's a series of things that kind of come crashing down. There's the, like, the bad sex and the realizing that the Timothy Chalamet character was lying about being a virgin. There's the her lying about which house she lives in coming out. (laughs) Um, So there's kind of a nice arc of like, she's become this other person that she says she wants to be partially through lying, partially through kind of just like being with a crowd that seems cool. And then there's a, there's a nice kind of like brick, by brick like dismantling of that facade until it's all the way down to prom night and it's like where do I want to be right now I want to be with my best friend um mm-hmm. and that that is part of what makes it like we've been saying feel like a movie and not a mumblecore string of things like you you do have a really nice flow there and yeah. and then it all comes together like you said Brian in this beautiful synthesis at the end where she does escape sacramento get to you know the place she wanted to wanted to go on the east coast and yet she now has this new appreciation and love and almost nostalgia for Sacramento that is shown so beautifully in that final scene.
1: I also yeah. like that her third, you know, romantic interest in the movie, like we don't care. Like we're not like, well, she finally found happiness. Like, no, this is just a, just a guy whatever. She, she threw up immediately. Yeah. yeah. right.
2: <laughs> that brick by brick dismantling that you're talking about, Alex, I was, I was really tuned into of that, you know, that, the act two B, which we've talked about, is maybe the, you know, as you said, Trisha, the the dramatic question is maybe the most vague. Not that it's like vague, but like that's that's the period where I am sort of like, wow, okay. So now what? Like I'm I'm just kind of going on this road, like floating through these things with you and maybe um, you know, intentionally not thinking about you know, it's intentional that we're not conscious of the college thing. But I think there's so many things happening for her and her character arc and the relationships during that period that each like moment to moment is compelling and thought provoking and bringing her like I can. I was able to follow emotionally the sort of slow maturation that she was going through, even just with like small moments of you know post. The Bad Sex with Timothy Chalamet, she comes down uh, and, like, sees his dad just sitting there in the living room. And it's like, oh, right. Like, he talked about, like, his dad was dying. And, like, these these little moments that kind of, like, recontextualize everything. And, And I feel like that's kind of a little bit how I read her her journey by the end or like this kind of take on growing up is almost like seeing the beauty and appreciating the things that you already have and like the meaning that is there and not just trying to like escape from it and yeah I can't quite describe it but I feel like no other movie has made me go on that journey and feel it in such a honest not saccharine not beating you over the head with it but just like an honest quiet, feeling of what it does feel like to slowly realize that you look at the world different now because you're not a kid anymore.
3: And I think that moment in the car on the way to prom is such a perfect um, expression of the feeling that I've had before of like uh, the disillusionment with, you thought these kids were cool. You thought this is what you wanted and you realize I want like, I want nothing to do with these people. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to go hang out with them at their friend's house tonight. I want to be with my real friends. And I think that the movie captures that adolescent experience so well, too, where you, you think you found a group that, like, is appealing for these reasons. And then you have, the, you have this, like, aha moment of, like, I just don't want to be here anymore. There's a place that I actually want to be. And it's
1: the place that I was trying to get away from. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love the exchange. Uh, my job is to help you be realistic. Yeah, that seems like everyone's job. Right. Where <laughs> it's like she spends the first, especially the first act, as I was just talking about, being like, these are the things that I want. These are the things that I don't have and everything. And, you know, I was just thinking about obviously people grow up at different ages, people have different experiences in their lives, but I was just like, I feel like your teen years, you kind of, they're like the best and worst times of your life because everything is an extreme, right? Everything is like the best thing that's ever happened or the worst thing that's ever happened. And then you hit sort of college age and then you start to be a little more cynical, but you also start to be a little more in control of your feelings and your experiences and all that kind of stuff. And literally a character going from high school into college, you know, is sort of what we're seeing here. And and I, I like that. I like that we see her transition from... Both super idealistic, but also, you know, maybe dramatic about things to kind of, again, synthesizing, fusing all that stuff together and and finding a balance by the end. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, yeah. And psychologically speaking, what happens when we grow up is we attain the ability to step outside of ourselves and Mm -hmm. start to like, you know, the, the. What you go through in adolescence is moving from like essentially like self-preservation and self-absorption in childhood, right? In childhood, you don't really think about much about how other people feel because that's like an evolutionary response, right? Like right. you're in childhood, you're like a vulnerable mammal over there that just needs to survive. And so you're not thinking about larger systems and other people and all this stuff. Um, you can't take in like the scope of the world, Right. And then as you move more into maturity, you're able, like, your brain literally, like, is able to take in more of that. And you become more aware of both, like, systems and, like, people around you in a way that you weren't aware of before. And so I think, you know, this movie is about essentially a self-absorbed teenager who's only worried about what's going on in her own life and how she feels about things. And her mom is constantly being like, you never think about other people, like, the scene where you know Ladybird hasn't put her clothes away, she comes back from um homecoming or whatever that dance is, where they're dressed like cowboys um, and To your point about her, this movie, like, expressing the extremes of adolescence, right? She comes running up and she just, like, screams before she goes in the door. She's like, ah, she's so happy because of what happened with Danny. Mm -hmm. She goes in and then her mom is scolding her, right? right? She's like, you have to put your clothes away. Like, you know, this makes us look like trash. Some of your friends' fathers could employ your father, but they won't if you look like trash. And then Lady Bird says, like, didn't you ever just not put your clothes away perfectly once when you were my age? It's that push and pull of somebody asking you to think of something other than what's immediately going on in your life. And in fairness, her mother is doing it in the most passive aggressive, <laughs> right. sometimes just straight aggressive and uncaring way possible, right? right? Um, but that is what she's asking Ladybird to do, and it's it goes back to and obviously her mom has her own insecurities and everything, um, and and problems in her life. But I think it's really interesting that the movie kind of reaches out to encompass that for us, where we're absorbed in Lady Bird's story and what's happening with her thematically. And then we're invited into like thinking more broadly about the world Um, and to include her mother and her mother's feelings and her mother's life and history. Um, And I love the POV shift at the airport, right? Where it's like she drops off Ladybird, and we could stay with Lady Bird and her dad, while her dad walks her to the gate or to security or whatever it is. But instead we stay with her mom in the car and her mom drives around to the airport exit and we just see her break down. It does that POV shift where again we're invited to think about how her mom thinks instead of wh- what what Ladybird is going through in that moment.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, speaking of that whole sequence and what follows you guys mentioned the ending early on you know what what do you guys want to talk about in in that sequence and and what follows
2: yeah i I think for me what was interesting like you mentioned earlier alex disillusionment and part Mm -hmm. of me watching this was like is this is this like a disillusionment arc because it feels that way kind of but it also is like a growth story where like Mm -hmm. she gets she gets what she wants and is disappointed by it and then gets what she needs but also, like, gets what she wants. Like, I don't know. There's it somehow manages to, like, kind of wear all the hats of as far as endings go. Of, like, you know, is this a downer ending? Is this a positive ending that's coming of age? It's like she and her mom may have found understanding of each other, but we don't get to see them have that moment. Like we don't get to see them recognize that in each other, but we know that it's there. And I just think it's such an interesting kind of bittersweet balancing of all these things that, that really works. And I feel like, again, I haven't seen anything else pull off in a way that feels emotionally impactful and honest to the story and honest to reality and leaves you satisfied while also wanting things to have been different in the way that you want people to feel at the end of a movie. So it just I think it, it has a lot of different elements that kind of pull me in different ways that somehow all together work really nicely.
1: It strives not to be saccharine, as, as we were saying with the rest of the movie, right? And it, it feels... I think it would be unearned for them to have the big rom-com hug in the airport. Mm-hmm. So instead, we we get we as the audience get to see each of them have their closure to their own personal arcs, right? So we see the mom run and and want to do the rom-com ending, but it's too late because because for both, you know, not it's not just. Oh, shame on you. It's no for both of you. This is a complicated relationship. And but like also what lesson does that tell, you know, you, the audience of like, make sure the people in your life you love know you love them because you may not get to see them. You know, it's not like she dies, but like it's that kind of thing. Right. Where it's like you don't get to always have that that kind of ending. And then we have Lady Bird finding the letters. Right. So it's like now we have her kind of closure of this arc. But it's so beautiful, as you were saying, Michael and and bittersweet that we don't they don't actually get it together. They get it separately uh, and like at a distance. And then literally we end on on her leaving a message, not even talking to her mom, but leaving a message, which is sort of her way of reaching out and then. The mom's going to hear it later and then she's going to feel that closure. And then eventually after that, they'll have a phone call, right? It's this sort of, and again, it feels more real. It's not just this like, I have to tell you, I love you and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, you don't have those moments. You have these little kind of push pulls kind of reminds me of the end of lost in translation a little bit Mm -hmm. where it's like, there's, there's an understanding, but things don't happen the way that you expect them to have. And, and yeah, it's, it's uh it's really interesting and I feel like in a movie where you could uh, start to fall away a little bit from the plot that like that ending really pulls me back in where I'm just like, so I'm like more focused in that ending than I had been for a little while because of, because of everything that it's doing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It would have been so easy to cut to Laurie Metcalf standing and listening to that message. Right. It would have just been the easiest thing in the world and they didn't do it. And I love that. Right. It, it leaves space for this movie again to feel grounded. The POV shift is so smart where it's just like we're only seeing Lady Bird in this moment so she's just talking into the phone and just kind of sending her message out into space with a little bit of faith that it's going to reach um her mom. And I think it's interesting too we can we don't have to talk about it but the like the role that religion but also like Sacramento like it feels like the school and the city are like doing symbolic work, right? About like the way that Lady Bird was raised and her family. And so, you know, she has that line where she says like, people will not question, will call themselves by names their parents gave them, but they won't believe in God. Right. This idea that like our parents are God in a way to us. And so she walks into a church and then like listens to a choir and then walks out and kind of sends up a prayer to her mom at the end. Um, I just think it's so beautiful.
3: Yeah. One other thing about this whole ending sequence I love is that we see her fumbling in in her new life. You know, it's not like she arrives to college and is like, right. "Now I am the new Lady Bird." You know, now going by my my given name, and I have matured and I am done and I'm an adult now. Like, she immediately is stumbling with her confidence where she says Sacramento is where she's from at first. He doesn't Mm -hmm. hear her. No, San Francisco. Like, like she, she kind of like regresses to like lying again because she wants to be cool. And then she drinks too much and throws up. And, and so I think it's just super, super honest. Like we're not getting this generic movie linear evolution of she had her like catharsis in X scene. So now she is like, the fully formed like new version of herself she still has her old pattern she's still fumbling she's still trying to figure out how she wants to present herself in this new life and it just it just feels so honest and i i love that
2: yeah it's almost a little bit like you know we've talked about recently like short third acts and this is almost like Mm -hmm. the most short third acty thing you can do in some ways of like it's almost like before the climax, before you, as, <laughs> right. as you were putting up, but before we get to see them together, it ends. But we know because of the pieces that have been given to us, what probably happens next. And that gets to be in our imaginations, which is cool. Why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take from Lady Bird. Before we do, reminder that next time we will be talking about Shawshank Redemption, which I've only seen once and like kind wow. of not really it was like on tv and i was distracted so what? it's it was, effectively wow. gonna be just like, watching
1: tbs in
2: like yeah. the late 90s you <laughs> <Yeah. know? laughs> haven't seen
3: gladiator yeah. not really seen Shawshank. Basically.
2: who are you <laughs> vince our producer is yelling at me in the slack right now <laughs> i guess he didn't know that either wow anyway so it'll be kind of like seeing it for the first time except i know everything that happens but That's great. so that'll be next time for now lessons we're going to take away from lady bird Ryan, do you want to start us off?
1: Sure. You know, we've talked a lot about complicated characters, um, but we don't talk a lot about complicated relationships, which we've talked about plenty, um, you know, during this episode. And I feel like when you think about most relationships in movies, it's either one thing, these two hate each other, and like maybe by the end there's like a little like, ah, you're not so bad, right? You can be my wingman any day, whatever. Um, Or it's... The, the mean girls kind of thing of like the relationship is this and then it changes to this um, and then maybe it comes back at the end. And, you know, this movie, we have so many, you know, specifically between her and her mom. But all the relationships in this movie are just complicated. You know, it's just, a, you know, as you were saying, Trisha, it's like, yeah, we love each other. We drive each other crazy. Do we like each other? I don't really know. It depends. And like we're, you know, both the Grapes of Wrath scene and the dress scene is like the 180 that happens over just a few minutes where we haven't even like moved forward in time at all. We've just spent three minutes with these characters and they've gone from like hugging to to wanting to punch each other or something. Um, And and, you know, I think I think it's a really good tool to have in your toolkit. It also it's not always necessary if you're doing a simple genre movie or a movie with tons of characters. Sometimes you really do need to just say like these relationships have to be kind of as simple as possible, but especially in dramas with uh, with just a few characters, you know, there's what maybe eight characters at most in this movie who are really meaningful, probably more like six. It's really great to remember our real relationships in life are often a multitude of things at once. You know, the person you love the most in your world, you've probably screamed at or been really annoyed with or something. And people that you, you know, that guy who comes to the party that you don't like every once in a while, you have a good time. And you're like, you know what? That guy's okay. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's something I've been working on my own writing. I'm, I'm working on something right now where a couple breaks up pretty quickly into a story and I'm like, you need to know why they're a couple in the first place. Cause you always have the stories where like, why are they together? Like, why didn't she leave years ago? Right. But so you need to kind of see that, but you also need to be happy when they break up. Right. And it's like, you have in a short amount of time, you need to kind of show. And we get that a lot. Like uh, we were talking about Michael Madsen in um, Thelma and Louise Right. It's just this sort of complicated relationship. Even Michael Madsen, Reservoir Dogs, much more one dimensional <laughs> character, but he has a different, he has a certain loyalty there, right? To like certain people and then not to others and that kind of thing. Listen
2: to our Patreon exclusive on Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs yes. more.
1: It's nice to remember that relationships can be complicated and not just always one thing until they change. They can be, they can be multiple things even in the same scene.
2: Yeah. It's like a, you know, the adage of uh, simple plot, complex characters. Right. feel like this movie is like the narrative fuel that you really get from that, as you're pointing out, can be these complex relationships between yeah. these complex characters. And that can take something that on paper can be simple, but then an execution can be extremely compelling. and moving.
1: Mm. I also yeah. real quick, I love when she and Lucas Hedges are talking outside mm-hmm. like, the you know, the building and then she just goes from being mad at him to hugging him like. Immediately, you know yeah, that just feels so so, so beautiful and 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 not not forced.
2: Mm-hmm. Good performances in this. Everybody, movie. Yes. like it's kind of upsetting maybe that'll be my lesson. I've decided that is now my lesson. Do good performances. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have actors be good. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah, just cuz we're sort of on this and that spur of thought, I'll insert myself here. But the what does a scene need to be? And I think when you have a simple plot but complex characters and complex relationships, I think you in some ways get some leeway about what a scene can be where it it can be as you were saying trisha there are these you know big full scenes where there's this huge 180 that is done in these great actory performances and big explosive moments but there's also these like quiet moments that we've talked about that are just these kind of like slices of life and i feel like too often i have like a a preset template of what a scene is supposed to be and like when it should start and this should happen, And then this should be a thing. And that's what a scene is. And if like this movie has so many great examples of a scene, if it's the right slice of life can just be the slice of life or lady bird realizing that Julie's not in class anymore. It can just be a shot of her. It's a two yeah. shot. We see her, we see the empty desk. Mm-hmm. She looks over cut away. We know what's happening. And so like, I think this movie is a really inspirational source to go to as far as like, what does a scene need to be? And it probably can be way less than you think it is, as long as it's accomplishing all the things that you want it to do. And this movie somehow has all these brief, beautiful moments that do everything it needs in with very little.
1: It's like the opening, uh, you know, the the opening montage of Up that whole thing right where it's just like here it's a bunch of really quick vignettes that tell you this like 80 year very in-depth emotional story in a short amount of time
0: yeah yeah
1: awesome trisha what's your lesson
0: my lesson is um just have a football coach take over your drama department (laughs) amazing Which is one of my favorite little scenes. It's the most like probably overtly comedic scene in it um, where it's just like this would not happen actually, but it's really right. funny to watch.
3: It's actually the one so one part of the movie that breaks the spell. A it, bit totally for me, it totally does. It totally does. Oh, now we're in a little bit over the top goofy territory. But- the payoff
2: for it at the it's end so when he like jumps up and it's like yeah. goal basically. Like I feel like the payoff <laughs> made it work, like made it
1: okay. And, and I feel like, real quick to add to that, like this movie, <laughs> this movie takes a bunch of things we've seen before in like high school comedies or whatever. Right. But it's a twist on it, you know, because we've seen the the coach take out like I think in Freaks and Geeks or whatever, like the coach taking yeah. over a class we're not supposed to teach. And they're just awkward, they don't really know what they're doing, and they're yelling at the students and whatever. Um, but this is like a coach really invested in doing a thing and he's going to do the play, but you know, like the, all that kind of stuff. And like that, that we haven't seen before. So it's like, we've seen the gag before, but we haven't seen this version of the gag before. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that's not actually my lesson. I know. Oh, <laughs> 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 like, um, I just love that little moment, but um, no. So it's really interesting. This movie is a lot about money or there's a lot of conversation yes. about money in this movie. And I think that when we, so money is a real world problem. Um, and it's one that in our culture, in the United States, it's really kind of taboo to talk about it out in the open. Um, and I feel like when we get movies that are about class, we, they're often like really dramatic examples. They're like Titanic or, you know, or they're about like extreme poverty, right. Or something like that. And it's interesting that this movie is just about like lower middle class or like working class people. And then people who are in like upper middle class, like kind of thing. Um, So the, the variation in like their poverty level versus that of her friends on paper doesn't necessarily seem ripe for conflict. Right. Like, and if the movie didn't make a lot of it, we probably wouldn't notice it at all. Right. Right. But it's interesting that that is becomes a primary source of conflict in the movie. And because it is kind of a taboo topic in American culture, like, you know, we're not allowed to, like, ask people their incomes. We're not supposed to ask your friends or whatever. Like, it, there's, there is some sense of sensitivity around it. Um, I think that it makes a lot of the scenes with her mom, who is, you know, obviously struggling with this, it just makes them really feel really brutal and raw and like even just the scene where she's in the grocery store, she's like, I want to read this magazine. It's only $3. And her mom's like, too bad. You know, you can read it at the library. And she's like, well, but I want to read it in bed. She's like, that's what rich people do. We're not rich people. And just like flat says a lot of that stuff flatly. That is, that is a refrain we hear from her mom all the time. Like, and then, you know, it comes to a head, like it's all building up to that scene where you know, Lady Bird says, give me a number, right? Tell me how much it it took to raise me and I'll pay you back. Her mom's like, you'll never be able to get a job that good to pay me back for this. It becomes all about money and it's, it feels really thorny and ugly to hear this family arguing about money because it is such a sticking point for her mom. And I think we don't often see that depicted in quite this nuanced way but the movie constantly reminds us of it in dialogue that this is part of the problem that ladybird's mother wishes she maybe wishes she could give ladybird more right like she wishes she could do this and that and um but ladybird ladybird clearly wishes she had more she wishes she lived in a bigger house she wishes she had more affluent friends and she didn't have to you know she could go to this rich people's college or whatever it is but her mother has never been able to provide her with that. Her dad is unemployed. And it becomes probably the primary source of conflict in this movie in a way that feels realistic and grounded. Like, again, I feel like movies, as a rule, tend toward extremes. We tend toward extreme topics and sources of drama, which makes total sense. Those are cinematic. But this actually has a lot of texture to it, And the movie just doesn't have a lot of work to do in making us feel that squeeze on money in the family. There's that scene in the grocery store where they're shopping, where her brother is bagging groceries and her mom's like, is this with your employee discount? He's like, yes, it is. And she's like, you know, Um, just there's moments like that everywhere, everywhere at every moment that make us feel that money is tight and just feel the tension of what's broken in this relationship with her and her mom. Um, Or part of what's broken is the very real life stress. People get divorced every day because of money. Families break up and argue and like tear each other apart over money. Um, And it's real and it's hard to depict on screen. This movie is a wonderful example and it it gives the conflict teeth.
2: Yeah. Totally. There's that really... Kind of beautiful, but also heartbreaking scene. Uh, right after, again, the, like the bad sex, and her mom comes to pick her up, and she oh, like, yeah. starts crying. Oh, and they're so like, "Let's good. do our favorite activity, yeah. which is going to what, what house is on Open sale, houses. essentially." And yeah, essentially, like pretending that they like had they're another rich, life yeah. or a window into another life, which is something that they both want. And I think that is just another interesting aspect of that. Dynamic that even the dad calls out at some point of like, you're both kind of two alike and both stubborn and strong personalities, and all these things. And it's, I think it's, yeah, just an, a really interesting thing. And as you're saying, I think it is surprisingly, uh, like raw and sh- sharp. The all the money talk in this that does like make made me uncomfortable almost because it's like, no, we're not supposed to like this is too like many things in this movie. this is too real. the awkwardness of high school this is too real. I didn't need to feel this again like this is <laughs> too well observed in some ways yeah. Uh, but yeah exactly really point. yeah uh all right, and Alex, what's your lesson?
3: Well, kind of going off of that, I mean one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when she's with her kind of nun advisor played by Lois Smith, that wonderful character. Just love her so much, and and she she points out like it seems like you really love Sacramento, um, and she's like, oh, I just pay attention, and she points out, well, attention is like a form of love, and I think that is why this movie feels so special, is because there's all the things we're talking about, you know, like Greta Gerwig paid attention, uh, to life and to all these little things, the way that money does stress relationships in a very real way that has teeth and stakes um and just the the way that she just observes like how you talk in high school like i love the confidence with with which ladybird tells like uh, julie i think we're past the learning portion of high school you know like like i remember <laughs> like making those statements you know like like we're seniors like we're done with high school like you know and it just it just feels so real and so just nostalgic and wonderful to have somebody pay attention to life in 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 that detail and then like share it you know reflect it back to us as an audience and i think the other aspect of that paying attention is an attention to all the little supporting characters including um the drama teacher who Mm -hmm. kind of disappears at a certain point and all we see is he's
2: yeah. Yeah. Father <laughs> yeah.
3: Dune. He, you know, he, all we see of him after kind of his early part of the movie is he's in some kind of psych, psychiatric consultation uh, with her mom at the hospital. And we just have, we just have this like rumor of like his son committed suicide and um, really like, you know, he's got this beautiful spirit and he really cares about the play and he's sad that the audience didn't get it. And just what a beautiful three-dimensional character who plays a very small role in the film, but the time he's there is so like moving because he's such a full person. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, this movie reminded me of another movie that I watched recently uh, for the umpteenth time, which is Children of Men. Um, Because both of these movies, I think, have that attention to detail in every single little piece of set decoration to supporting character to extra there's like a love and an integrity to like its portrayal of the whole world where nobody's judged everybody is flawed everybody is worthy of love and you, know, and you feel that in this movie I've been thinking about this subject a lot lately because uh, what I've been watching recently is Children of Men, and I watched it for a podcast called My Favorite Movie Is, uh, hosted by Larry Fried, and it was great because I got to just basically ramble at him for a good hour about <laughs> my favorite movie, which is Children of Men, and and a, and a big topic of conversation was exactly this, which is, why does this movie feel so special in its portrayal of this dystopian future why does it feel unique uh, compared to like other kind of more generic Hollywood portrayals of a dystopian or future world and it's exactly this thing which is like the camera will pan across a refugee in a cage or a woman on the street or somebody in an office and they just feel like a hundred percent a real person they're not like an extra just kind of made up for a sci-fi movie, they like have a whole life and you can feel the weight of their whole life in that moment. Um, and I just think it's really special when a filmmaker cares enough to do that for for every part of their movie. And I think both Lady Bird, I feel that, and also Children of Men, always recommend a rewatch of that movie because every inch of that frame has that integrity. And, uh, and also, if you want to hear me talk about this, for a good 45 minutes, listen to the podcast. Uh, my favorite movie is.
0: I did listen to it, Alex. It's a lovely episode.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited.
2: Larry, uh, faithful patron has now collected us all. Uh, yes. Got to catch them right? all. He did. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had <a> Star Wars, <laughs> Trisha did Jurassic Park, Brian, Fight Club, and now Children Men. a Men.
3: That's a good four
2: episodes. Yeah. Well, what else have people been watching? Trisha, what have you been watching recently?
0: So um I am not all the way through it. I'm only about halfway through it, but I'm going to let you know that I am in the middle of Elvis from 2022 mm. Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Baz Luhrmann's new you're movie taking a, you're about taking a Elvis break.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "What is this long, like, limited series that you must no, no, be watching?" No, no, no.
0: <laughs> it is a film We're coming up called for Elvis. Air. <laughs> yeah, wow, it is uh, like, like everything Baz Luhrmann has made. It is um, immersive. <laughs> like, <laughs> you forget when you're watching it that there's a world outside of what you're watching. Like I said, it's directed by Baz Luhrmann. It stars Tom Hanks and, and Austin Butler. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know. Like Tom Hanks is doing a lot. Like, he's, <laughs> I mean, everybody's doing a lot. <laughs> Baz is doing a lot. Everybody's doing so much. Um, but Tom Hanks' performance is quite something. I mean, he's just playing a very larger-than-life character. Um, and, of course, you know, it's this really heightened reality. It's, like, very, very stylized, very cutty. Um, and and he's narrating so much of it. And um, he's playing a character... Tom Hanks plays a character a little similar to Tommy Wiseau in some ways because what? Uh, he, so he plays <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis's manager, and uh, Colonel Tom Parker was a, a, originally a Dutch immigrant, but his whole life when he after he came to the states he basically said he was just a farm boy from West Virginia, but he clearly has like a really Dutch accent, um, so he's he's very much trying to be this like enigmatic person that nobody knew a lot about during his life, but was like very larger than life. Anyway, the person who is working for me a lot is Austin Butler. Actually, he's doing an amazing job. Um, I had my doubts uh, going into this because how could anybody play Elvis? But Austin Butler is doing a fantastic job. Um, I'm very impressed by his performance. Uh, and also um, there's a Moulin I'm sure you've heard, but there's a Moulin Rouge thing going on with the music where... There's a lot of um, remixes and like modern pop music blended in with like classic Elvis music and stuff from the time. Um, so actually, that's also really working for me. Honestly, I'm very entertained. Um, it's a lot to process, and <laughs> I'm not done with it. Maybe I'll hate the second half, but the first half is I'm I'm really enjoying for what it is. So.
3: The trailers were a lot to process. So I can't imagine Ooh, no. the whole movie. I mean, <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, one thing I love about Baz is just he's gonna go for it, man. Right. And I just respect the hell out of that.
2: The Great Gatsby. I think I like it. Every time I think back, I'm like, God, like watching that was a lot. I was like, I don't know if this is good, but man, I kind of love it. Like, and I feel like he, I don't know, just that yeah. the excess that he can put sometimes really works for the me. The sheer so.
3: like will right (laughs) to do all this
2: (laughs) It's, it's yes something something to look at exactly excellent cool all right brian what have you been watching
1: uh speaking of bumpy rides um i have been watching the sandman on netflix uh which is the adaptation of neil gaiman's graphic novel series um and I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan and I've read almost everything he's done. Uh, the The show is it's it's rough. It, like production value is rough. Directing is a little rough. Writing sometimes a little rough. Um, and there's like an aspect ratio problem. And I Googled it and they're like, OK, we yeah, wanted it to feel. Yeah, they're like, we wanted like, it to feel dreamy. And I'm like, then you just made people the wrong size. <laughs> like what?
3: Like. Michael, it's like as if they shot it with like some anamorphic like like lens or uh mm-hmm. yeah, basically something where it's like in, it's like people are squished, squished. like vertically yeah. and they were not like like a, de, they were not de squished. They just left right. it squished.
1: And it's not just like Whoa. only like there are scenes <laughs> where it's just like takes place on Earth, like in normal world and the aspect. So it's not just, oh, we did this just for the like dream sequences. Like or every whatever. scene is. Squished. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when we talk about foundation, we're like, how does the show look so gorgeous and so much like TV in like a bad way? Right. And this doesn't not just looks like TV. It looks like TV for like BBC shows from like the early aughts or something like it has that kind of quality to it. That being said, um, it's it's a really cool story. It took me a couple episodes to kind of find my footing of just the story world and the characters and stuff. But once I did, there are some really beautiful episodes. There's some really like fun sequences and stuff. And, you know, I'm the kind of person I'd rather watch a seven out of ten Bonkers, interesting story that I've never seen before than a 10 out of 10 movie I've seen 100 times before, unless it's Top Gun Maverick. Um, But uh, it's so. So, yeah, I think it's like if it's kind of your thing, then I would say absolutely give it a shot. If you tried a couple episodes, I'd say stick with it. Um, Tom Sturridge plays uh, Dream, the main character. And then there's David Thewlis, Gwendolyn Christie, Jenna Coleman, Boyd Holbrook, Patton Oswald, John Cameron Mitchell, Stephen Fry. Like, it's, you know, it's got a lot to deliver. It's got a lot of really cool stories and stuff. Just know that it's that it's a bit of a bumpy ride and you're going to be taken out of it once in a while because of just what it, the way it looks. I wonder
3: if there'll be, like, a fan-made... There must de- be. De- yeah, right. De-squished, <laughs> yeah.
1: I
2: am having to, like, stop myself from going to make that right now. <laughs> Someone
3: <laughs> has done I'll, that. I'll watch that version, yeah.
2: <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, something that is visually stunning is the tragedy of Macbeth, hey. which I recently watched. Um, and I, like, fell in love with this movie so yeah. hard, so... This was my first like start to finish experience of Macbeth just as a story, so that also uh, you know was cool to be like, oh yeah, this is that that thing that everyone's talking about. The Shakespeare guy, he's got some, he's got some stuff going on.
0: You know, it's heavily abridged, right? Like they cut a ton out of it. I mean, like not not like a lot, a lot, but like there's there's a lot.
2: <laughs> I know nothing about any of that, but whatever they did okay. do, I liked it. Okay. Just the, the filmmaking, like top to bottom, is just insanely amazing. And so screenplay directed by Joel Cohen, uh, Denzel uh, is amazing. Yes. Frances McDormand is amazing. All of the other characters are amazing. Like all the performances are so great. Uh, and I, yeah, when adapting something like Shakespeare, as I've seen other ones, it can be Tricky. there's a lot of things to balance you can go with the romeo plus juliet Luhrmann version uh, which is just like bombard people with an audiovisual experience so it's okay if you're 13 and you don't quite understand what everybody's saying you're still getting it i really liked that in this movie it's slow and paced and every shot is extremely like immaculately composed uh The performances absolutely cue you in on the emotional experience and everything that's happening and the visuals. All of the things are working together. It's black and white. It has the 4-3 aspect ratio. There's a ton of visual effects uh, that most people probably would never even think of or know, but just like down to the shadows when they get off the horse and they walk up to this person. we replaced all the shadows so that the shadows would be like the right uh mood and size in order to make an impact so just like every frame of this movie is gorgeous and then what's happening within every shot with all those frames is even better i was just i'm like obsessed with Damn. it so i sold i gotta watch this uh, you, you yeah. haven't
0: seen it alex I oh haven't. my gosh it's so good oh it's so good
2: it's like it takes place in a surreal dream world yeah. and i feel like that really does a
1: lot for
2: like the buy-in of, of mm. things so
1: anyway
0: it's very German expressionist.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, I was going to say, speaking, you know, I was talking about BBC shows, um, like I'm a sucker for the BBC productions of of uh, Shakespeare plays from like the 80s and 90s, where it's just a like a black theater. And you're just watching like the cameras are kind of can go anywhere, but you're basically just watching people walk around an empty space. And the Tragedy Macbeth is a good example of. You know, they didn't have to do that for money reasons, but they did it anyway, where whatever someone's outdoors, it almost feels like they're on a stage, but a stage with no walls where you can kind of see forever. And it just really adds to the to the tone and the mood of the movie.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It both feels like a stage performance and a cinematic experience somehow all at once. Yeah. Yeah. was amazing. So,
0: yay! I'm glad you liked it.
2: Well, so this has been our conversation about Ladybird. Um Lots of things that we covered. Lots of good lessons. This is one that people should revisit if they haven't in a while. Um, it's really good. And I am now even more excited for Barbie to see.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, what's next? What's <laughs> yeah, next for
2: Greta, Greta Gerwig? Lighting Twitter
3: aflame.
1: I'm ready. Just give it to me. I don't care what it is.
2: <laughs> All
3: those leaked set images that people are freaking out about
2: it's amazing what could it possibly be futurist knows (laughs) Uh, and i'm excited to become futurist
3: (laughs) same day as oppenheimer (laughs) really (laughs) yes
1: for now. We'll have, now. To, we'll have to, what a a a to talk about that much.
0: Clash of the Titans.
1: Yeah. Wow. We're calling right now double episode. Uh, we're all going to go together oh for gosh. a doubleheader. Right.
3: Hot take of
1: both of them all at once. Right. But we can't talk about one and then the other. It has to be... The conversation has to always be both. talking about both at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Should half of us see one and half the other? Should <laughs> should... We watch half of one and then switch theaters so each of us has only seen half of each half.
0: Oh, 2023! It's going to be quite a year in cinema history.
2: (laughs) Uh, We want to say a big thank you, as always, to the patrons that make this show possible. Our patron-exclusive episode on Reservoir Dogs is available, so go check that out. I had not seen it since high school. Uh, We had some thoughts. It was a good conversation. It's a good Uh, if you want to help us make more episodes uh, and get fun perks like voting on what our monthly patron exclusive episode will be head over to the beyond the screenplay patreon the link is in the show notes thank you to our producer vince major whose birthday is coming up and for whom we will be doing shawshank redemption next time thank you to our editors caleb berg graham harther and eric schneider I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Calleros. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you in the next episode for Shawshank Redemption.
0: Bye, everybody.
1: Bye-bye.
2: Bye.